This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots. I'm James Hill and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. Now it's reshuffle day in Westminster and the two big moves so far this morning are that Suella Braverman is out as Home Secretary, replaced by James Cleverley. And James Cleverley, who departs as Foreign Secretary, has been replaced in a shock move by David Cameron. Katie, talk us through this. Yeah, it's quite the day and we're not even at midday yet. So <laughs> I feel it's probably one of those days where you might get more than one coffee has shots landing. Um, so where to start? I think it had become quite clear from the end of last week that Cyril Brabham's position was not safe, but Rishi Sunak was not planning to move her alone in the sense they wanted to combine it as part of a reshuffle. And therefore, almost you know, a flat few days at the end of the week, speculation again mounting. And I think this is an attempt by Rishi Sunak today to try and get back on the front foot in what effectively is a bit of a no-win situation in terms of where he got to as Home Secretary. Now, there's been lots of debates over the past few months, really since Suella Bravman became Home Secretary, as to whether she should stay there or not, with some in the Rishi camp very opposed to her from the beginning. But I think what was always kept to there up until this point is the sense that are they more trouble on the backbenches than they are in government? Do they send an important signal to party or party? I think the combination of... Um, the rough sleeping comments and mm-hmm. then also what happened with the Times op-ed meant that they were pushed in one direction. And the decision to replace Sir Ola Braverman with James Cleverley, I think, is an attempt to probably, if you think about all the options, the most palatable one Rishi Sunak had in terms of party management. Yesterday I was speaking to members of the government and they were saying if it is Oliver Dowden, <laughs> for example, if it was Grant Shapps, they were, you know, effectively, um, this is not a direct quote, but the vibe was kill me now. Um, <laughs> so I think that by going for someone who is a Brexiteer yeah. and someone who is liked across the party, mm. That is probably the most sensible thing they could do. That said, James Cleverley has different views on Suella Braverman. He was very much a pragmatic Brexiteer in the sense Suella Braverman didn't even vote for Meaningful Vote Free. <laughs> but James Cleverley defended the Theresa May deal. It means on the ECHR, I'm already getting messages from some MPs on the right who say, we're worried that this means we're going for a, you know, a softer position. If you think to this is this is a big week that's only just beginning. You have the Supreme Court verdict on Wednesday. Mm. If that doesn't go in the government's favour, what are the next moves? Rishi Sunak will come to pressure to try and think about leaving the ECHR. I think James Cleverley's appointment and the fact that Suella Braverman is not there means that the expectation that he is likely to do that anytime soon has, has you know, dropped and going from there and then of course we get to um, David Cameron which I think just initially at least again is uh, one of those appointments that I don't think anyone saw coming outside of number 10 is one of those complete shock appointments points to the fact that number 10 a very tight-knit team who can keep a secret almost a shock and awe appointment but for reasons we'll come to one that I think does have risks. Mm. Fraser, first time a former Prime Minister has been appointed to a cabinet since 1974. What are your thoughts? Um, I I have to say that I'm not a fan of um, David Cameron's return to office. Uh, This model can work. Uh, In Sweden, you had a former Prime Minister, Carl Bildt, who came back as Foreign Secretary. If they're a kind of respected elder statesman, then this can work. David Cameron is a deeply divisive figure in the Conservative Party. Remember, uh, he's now, as Foreign Secretary, he'll be in charge of selling Brexit, which is the flagship foreign policy of the United Kingdom. 
Can he do this given that he vehemently opposed Brexit, in fact resigned after a failed attempt to, to stop it? It having a retread back in as foreign secretary suggests that Rishi Sunak looked at the 350-odd MPs he's got and thought that not a single one of them really was up to the job. Now, this will be seen by the public basically as not um, not pressing refresh, but instead pressing rewind of a party which okay, will look like it's out of ideas and out of mm. people. Now, David Cameron, it, 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 um, I don't want to be mean about David Cameron, I supported much of what he did, and I think he's a honourable man with a legacy far better than he's given credit for. But we ought to remember the circumstances in which he left office as well. Rather than stay to serve his constituents until the end of the term, as is the convention, he bolted for the door, forcing them into a by-election to save him from the indignity of serving them until the end of the term as he'd promised. Then there were his resignation honours. It was said that nothing in his public life demeaned him like the leaving of it. There are several questions he'll have to answer now. Why, for example, did he ban civil servants from preparing for a Brexit yes vote? It was, which was when you think about what civil servants prepare for, you know, we're talking like if Britain were to be invaded, etc., all sorts of unlikely contingencies. But the lack of preparation for Brexit, a question he personally put on the agenda, did lead to a lot of problems thereafter. So I linked the, his, the haste of his departure to the great number of questions which he would rather not answer. He will have to answer these um, questions now. He'll have to list all the financial rewards perhaps he's received from any foreign governments or state-owned enterprises since leaving office, including, by the way, China. Questions about that recently. He'll have to say how many governments around the world he might have lobbied on behalf of Greensill, a scandal he was caught in recently. And he'll have to explain how he's going to encourage the diplomats in the Foreign Office to best make the case for Brexit, and how he as Foreign Secretary will take advantage of Brexit, given that until recently he was saying that he saw no advantages at all in Brexit. So yes, you've got the advantage of getting in a former Prime Minister as Foreign Secretary, somebody who is, broadly speaking, respected on the world stage. That is a plus. But taking in such a divisive figure in the party, let's remember Brexit split the Conservative Party. There were so many MPs who didn't come round, didn't get into Parliament the next time around. And David Cameron has made no real effort to say that he has reconciled himself to Brexit. As far as we know, he thinks it's the worst idea ever. Now, given that Suala Braverman, in some ways a flag bearer of the Brexit right, has been given the door, that will annoy her supporters, but also seeing Cameron walk into that door will also annoy them. So I imagine David Cameron might have quite a effect in his party and Rishi Sunak will have a big management problem to do. I've got a few more cons I'll add to the list while we're, while we're at it. <laughs> um, in the sense that, you know, when... It was about a month ago that Rishi Sunak said he was the change candidate and was going to go about, you know, against decades of orthodoxy that was wrong. And in fact, Katie, I think we can just play the clip here from his conference speech because you raise a very important point. Politics doesn't work the way it should. We've had 30 years of a political system which incentivizes the easy decision, not the right one. 30 years of vested interests standing in the way of change. 30 years of rhetorical ambition which achieves little more than a short-term headline. And why? Because our political system is too focused on short-term advantage, not long-term success. Politicians spent more time campaigning for change than actually delivering it. It doesn't have to be this way. I won't be this way. Conference, our mission is to fundamentally change our country. 
So 30 years of failed status quo, which, of course, if you, if you look at at least I think in the way I would look at it initially, David Cameron would be quite a key part of that. It was also the same conference when David Cameron took great issue with that speech because he did not like the HS2 announcement and after it suggested this was a wrong turn for the Conservative Party. So I think clearly David Cameron is not in charge of HS2 in the Foreign Office, so that is probably less of an issue but I think it does suggest it's like confused message coming from Rishi Sunak which is he's changed yet I think bringing back someone who is very well known by the public from the beginning of really the Tories getting back in power the beginning of those 13 years that's not going to suggest to the public uh, or even to other MPs that this has changed I think it's going to suggest going back to almost a Tory status quo a type of conservatism that probably the party moved away from in 2019 that now they are moving further towards and I think that you add, just in terms of party management, I think there are also plenty of MPs who think they would have been a really good foreign secretary that didn't need a peerage. And then you have the situation whereby, to Fraser's point about the optics of this, you have James Cleverly, yes, a Brexiteer, but I think uh, seemed to not be in the same place as Suella Braverman and lots of issues. And now you have David Cameron, who's not just someone who backed Remain, but has been very negative about Brexit in the Foreign Office. And you can start to see a potential front open up, up on the right of the party, where by they're going to be saying this you are actually taking the party somewhere else things like the Windsor framework questions about where David Cameron is on China that golden era I don't think we're returning to a golden era but I think this is just the beginning of the reshuffle it's worth pointing out you know we will come when there are more appointments it's going to be extensive from what we understand but I think um, that he'll need to do enough so it doesn't just look as low for example you know it is a return of Cameronism so one of the names that has been tipped for motion for some time is Laura Trott. Say Laura Trott, 2019 MP, now enters the cabinet or in a really senior ministerial role, former advisor to George Osborne. You can start to see just as Keir Starmer's reshuffle all became about uh, the return of Blair, this could become the return of Cameronism. Can I just ask as a final question? I mean, you see Sue Rutherman leaving the cabinet, you see... James Cleverly, quite a sort of pragmatic Brexiteer, a bit like Richard Sunak was. You see David Cameron joining, who was, OK, not a Brexiteer, but a Eurosceptic, quite a sort of blue wall type Conservative. Is this much more about bringing the kind of Conservative cabinet much more closer in line together after a sort of four years or so when it tried to ride the two red wall, blue wall horses? I think this represents the abandoning of the project Rishi Sunak announced a few weeks ago, which is to move on from the 30-year failed consensus. That seemed to amount to a smoking ban. And I think he has now decided that rather than define himself against his predecessors, which was absolutely his purpose in that clip we heard earlier, he now intends to make common cause with them. This morning when I heard there was a, a reshuffle on, I really expected it to follow in the mould of what I regard as the inspired appointment of Claire Coutinho as Energy Secretary, like finding out that this party has got really high-caliber people who you might not have heard of, so we're going to put them front and centre, we're going to demonstrate renewal. This does not demonstrate renewal. This demonstrates the opposite. This demonstrates a party which will look very... Labour will characterise it as a party out of ideas, out of people, a party which is basically playing the greatest hits of the 80s well into the 90s and noughties. And in this country as well, former prime ministers tend not to be well regarded. When every time Tony Blair makes a return, people don't like to see it. If you look at the uh, the trajectory of satisfaction of prime ministers, they always start high and they exhaust that capital as as they go on. And David Cameron, when he um, left, he was basically 38 points down in net satisfaction rating. Sunak, by the way, is also net 38 points down. So I struggle to see how many people there are who are going to 
go home from mm. work today and say, great news, David Cameron's back. Katie? I think, I think obviously the flip side of that is you have someone lots of experience, but we can talk about the foreign policy record. <laughs> um, but, you know, in that one of those roles, and often say people are over-promoted and they don't have, you know, they're not ready to go. You already have Theresa May come out and welcome the appointment. You have had Matt Hancock, for example. But I think it will play well to parts of the party. Mm. I think, though, just a thought to end on, we have Sirada Bravman uh, in her statement, ultimately accepting that she is gone, saying it's been the greatest honour of her life to be Home Secretary, and said she will say more in due course. And I think it's quite clear Sirada Bravman is not going to stay particularly quiet. Um, those around her have made the point to me that she knows you know, where the bodies are buried and the sense she's been of Richie Sunak a very, uh, you know, since he entered number 10. We know there's been lots of debates where she's pushed for policy that you haven't got there. And let's see how the rest of the reshuffle shakes out. But you are potentially going to be having a situation where the right of the party don't like what Rishi Sunak has done, and they think that it's not just about changing personnel, it's a change of political direction. And Katie, so so far Sunak's strategy seemed to me to be conciliatory when he became leader. All his cabinet pretty much was almost every person embodied some kind of peace offering to some Tory tribe. He seemed to realise that he had just lost a leadership election, so he had to be quite cautious. This seems to be almost declaring war with the Braverman faction of the party. A, sacking her, B, getting Cameron back. Yeah, and I don't think that's actually the intention of this in the sense that I think the reason Sarada Braverman is gone is because it got to a point where Richard Steele's authority was going to be in tatters if he did not move her. But then you combine that with the decision to bring back David Cameron, and I think that it could quite well be read as that. And that's why, uh, but when you look at lots of the policies, I mean, politically, Richard Steele agreed with a lot of the things Sirella Braverman did and wanted on small boats, is not as low-key as a soft, cuddly, one-nation Tory. He actually is quite aligned with the Sirella Braverman camp on a few things. But I think the risk, just as in the Tory leadership contest, where the first one, uh, where he did not win, is that it looks as low to lots of people. So he is you know, only with one wing of the party, even if his politics are somewhere else. Well, we'll keep you up to date on Coffee House. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening.